Hello and welcome to the Activist Podcast, brought to you by Vegan FTA, vegan for the animals. I'm your host, Gareth Skur, and I'll also be joined by my wonderful co-host and wife, Jackie Norman. In this episode, we have the incredible Anita Kreins, founder of the Animal Save Movement. In this interview, Anita shares how to be an effective animal rights organization. It was a delight to have the opportunity to learn from Anita and share this knowledge with you, our audience. We hope you learn as much as we did from this episode and be sure to check out our social media pages at VeganFTA on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube where you can also find the series in video format. Thank you so much for joining us today, Anita. We always like to start these discussions by taking the time to look back at how our activists started on their journey to embracing a vegan lifestyle. For someone who's gone on to create a powerful movement through organizing vigils for the animals, what got you started in veganism? And did you have prior activism experience before starting what would become Toronto Pig Save and the Save Movement? That's a great question, Gareth. Um, I started as a peace activist and an environmentalist. and. Um, I also started as a vegetarian in the 90s after I saw a film called The Animals Film, which is narrated by Julie Christie. And it was the first graphic film of its kind coming out of the United Kingdom in the early 80s. And after I watched that film, I had nightmares for three days. Uh, I was an undergraduate university student. And uh, then I became the president of the University of Toronto Students for the Ethical Treatment of Animals in the 90s and uh, it took me till 2004 before I became vegan and it was a, a group, a student group at the at Queen's University in, in Kingston, Ontario, Canada that was influenced by Gary Francione and they called me a hypocrite. They were really aggressive uh, and, and it made me examine my own values and educate myself on the link between the um, calf or you know you're not supposed to say veal like i read this book by joan dunyer and she says to avoid the word veal so i but i i sort of uh, recognize the link between the calf the exploited calf industry and um the dairy that you're not supposed to use dairy either um i'm sorry i'm trying to think of it because i've just been studying her theosaurus and she says avoid using language that is speciesist um but she said the um the, yeah, the stolen, you know, the stolen milk uh, industry. And, uh, and that, that's when I became vegan. And uh, the Toronto Pig Safe started six years later after I adopted a dog, Mr. Bean. And uh, it was the first time I, I, I saw the, the pigs from the, in the transport trucks going to a downtown slaughterhouse in Toronto. And that's when, when, the, when Toronto Pig Safe started in 2010. Fantastic. Yeah, I'm going to have to look more into to that language that you were talking about because that sounds really yeah. interesting. And um, you know, at the time of recording, we're just going into the the question. Whereas, you know, we we need to be starting to use pronouns for for animals, which is so true. They are, you know, he's and she's and hims and hers. And uh, yeah, that's I'd really like to look into more of that. Um, we interviewed our very first interview for the activist uh, series was with Bobby Sud from LA Animal Save, who explained to us about you know bearing witness, um, and that that really lit a fire within us, and yeah. that we we found that really impactful. And to bear witness is an expression carried across many factors of activism, and is most commonly associated with the Save movement. Facing the uncomfortable truth and witnessing the victims is often the reasons that you know given to us for the passion that drives our community. I think, um, you know, almost all members of, of the human race can testify to the powerful connection that, that one can feel when having an encounter with a non-human animal, whether it's a companion animal or a wild animal. Would you mind sharing with our audience your first encounter with those, those pigs in the trucks and how powerful that connection was formed for you? Oh, sorry. And how yes. that powerful connection was formed for you? <laughs> yes, I, um, so I, I live uh, in downtown Toronto and I, I didn't, I, I knew about the slaughterhouse uh, since I moved in this area. Uh, so I knew about it for four years, but I, I never bothered to go to the slaughterhouse to uh, look at the pigs going to slaughter. I, I, I thought, oh, somebody should do something. Somebody should leaflet or something. And then I adopted Mr. Bean and I, we walk on Lakeshore and the trucks, there would be trucks that would be moving slowly in rush hour traffic in the morning. And I saw the pigs looking out of the trucks and I couldn't believe it. Like they were so 
are beautiful, but they were scared and uh, sad and, and, and uh, sort of yearning for someone to pay attention and to help them. And, um, but it took, a, it took a little while before I actually went right up to the trucks. Uh, um, I, was, I was working for Rabble TV. It's an it's a independent news program. And I, was, uh, I wanted to get footage going right up to the, you know, going right up to the trucks. And when I did that, the first time I did that, um, it, it looked like it was a dungeon. And it was like this innocent pig that was looking at me and asking me to help 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 him and um and it, it was just like at that moment i promised that pig a minimum of three vigils a week and and uh, we've kept that promise as, as a toronto pig safe and uh it's when i saw the pig there i just thought like everyone needs to see this if everyone saw this they wouldn't participate in this evil and uh so uh, right at the beginning our goal was to uh, advocate for veganism and for activism and the idea that everyone has a moral duty to bear witness and uh, and that we need to have vigils at every slaughterhouse in the world. So that was that was an idea that uh, you know was was we all felt early on when we started holding vigils at Toronto Pig Safe. That's awesome. It's um, you know I'm so glad for for the pigs and for everyone that has you know got onto to learn and be inspired by you know that first encounter i mean the you know what you're doing has really raised awareness of the plight of pigs and you know getting that footage out there and, and you know bobby's images in in particular as well they are so insightful so incredibly heartbreaking and you can just you can see they are you know they're, they're like us they're just amazing amazing creatures with the sentience really shine through and when we uh, spoke to bobby as well he just he really made that point about you know taking those couple of minutes just to be there with them and that's the most kindness they're going to receive in that whole lifetime and that was something that really like just struck at me um yeah hugely because um for a pig their lives are cut so short so that two minutes is a is a, is a huge amount of time for them even you know so it, it, yeah it's fantastic what you're doing and yeah. participating in the vigil is often regarded as a great stepping stone a, a staging ground for activists uh, somewhere which you know they can go on and then get more active in the movement but what is it um, that makes vigils such a good staging place uh, for activists like for our viewers who may not have heard of vigils yet um, how involved do par participants need to be in these events yeah I think it's uh, it's a life transforming experience because yeah uh, you, you need to ask yourself what's the difference between watching a video and bearing witness firsthand and uh there's so many differences and it took me a long while to even understand bearing witness because it's so such an intense experience. Um, one of the things that's uh, exceptional about it is that, is that there's no filter, like you're just seeing the truth. And uh, you're, you're, the being before you is someone who's equal to you and they're, in, you know, with the golden rule, you, could, you, you, you empathize so strongly and, you know, you, you, you ask yourself, what, what would you want if you were in that truck? And uh, so it's, you know, when you go to these animal vigils, it's, it's like you're going to a different planet. It's like hell. But if we don't go there and if we don't share their truth, we're not going to stop it. And I, I think, uh, so we have this incredible moral responsibility. And, and, and when you go to these vigils, like you, you feel accountable. Like you really feel like you want to help the beings before you but you can't. And, and I know a lot of people sort of criticize the, the animal movement, so saying like, you're just watching and you're not doing anything. And um, it's a partial form of bearing witness. Only occasionally do we actually rescue animals. We've rescued hundreds, possibly thousands of animals uh, at, at vigils worldwide. But you know we're witnessing millions of animals going to slaughter through all our vigils, millions and millions and millions. And, um, it's a the thing is with a partial form of bearing witness, it's better than not being there. It's better than looking away, not and, and, and you know out of sight, out of mind. By going there, it makes fighting for animal rights a bigger priority to you. So like when I I was already a vegan and an activist before I started bearing witness, 
But when the first time I bore witness to the pigs in the truck, it made fighting for animal rights the number one priority in my life. It completely changed my life. And this has happened to many people. Like a lot of people go to the vigils at LA Animal Safe and then open a vegan restaurant or, you know, somebody might be a stockbroker and then becomes, you know, our director of communications. Like it's just like it's changed people's lives in a big way. Um, because in any movement, we know that bearing witness is powerful. Like Sea Shepherd does that. You know, they're bearing witness to the whales. Uh, Greenpeace does that. Um, the civil rights movement did that. Gandhi did that. Like there's bearing witness has always been a central strategy in, in social change movements. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah it's great yeah. to have that insight. And um, I think one thing that's prudent as well with this is the fact that by bringing light to that struggle there, you might not necessarily be saving the pigs on that truck, but if it can raise the awareness in somebody who is consuming those pigs, it may be saving the ones in the next truck. So, you know, there's, there's not always that direct correlation, but it's um, yeah, it's fantastic what yeah, you guys do. It's bringing it out of hiding and um you know, which is, that's what it is, you know, you, you brought it out of hiding and, and making people think, you know, God, is this, is this actually happening around me? And all too often we hear counter arguments to injustices of people saying, oh, you know, that doesn't happen here. That only happens overseas. I mean, when I went vegan, that was actually because I learned what was happening to, to mother pigs in farrowing crates over here in New Zealand. And I did not think that happened here. So when I found out it was happening in our own so-called developed compassionate country, I was like, I'm not being a part of that anymore you know um and I was really shocked when we were in Wellington last year to learn that there was a slaughterhouse in the middle of, of the city's industrial area you know where where um the members of Wellington Animal Saver are carrying out vigils so and, and you yourself with Toronto Pig Save you know created huge waves with your choice of location for vigils highlighting the trucks and the slaughterhouses within local communities has really helped to lift the veil for for many and to counter those perceptions of you know it doesn't happen here and the abuse of slaughter of animals, like we said, you know, doesn't only happen in, in distant land. It doesn't only happen in, you know, Asia and all those places that, that get the finger pointed at them. It's right on our back doorstep. Will we be right in saying that shining the spotlight on activities in our own backyards appears to be a crucial tool in the SAVE movement's effectiveness by persuading spectators to reevaluate their actions, sort of um, bringing the issue closer to home, I guess, you know, do you find that opens the conversations further? Absolutely. Uh, I think people uh, are shocked, like you said, or, uh, like that there are slaughterhouses in their communities or near their communities. Um, uh, so that's one of the things we've done is politicize uh, slaughterhouses and also slaughterhouse trucks. I, I remember in the 90s when I was a vegetarian, I don't recall like seeing slaughter trucks when I was on the highway. But now I see them all the time. I go, there's a truck, there's a truck. And I think just by holding these vigils, we've politicized these trucks. We've encouraged people to look, to be aware, to notice, uh, to put it on the agenda, to have them think about it. And uh, so, yeah, so absolutely, shining light is part of the battle. Um, there's a famous quote by Romaine Rowland. He was a vegetarian in the uh, early 1900s. And he said, just by shining the light on uh on, on evil, that's sort of like half the job done because it sort of changes the behavior of where of, of the tr transgressor. Um, so um, absolutely, it, it's, uh, um, I think it's very important that people hold vigils in their own communities and, uh, and, uh, and we all have a moral responsibility to do that. Um, you know, uh, Jim Coates, Coatesia, he, he, he's a Nobel laureate and vegan in South Africa. He said there are, you know, slaughterhouses, animal testing facilities, all these places in our communities and, and uh, people don't know about them or they're hidden. And, and you know, so it's, it's so important for us to shine a light uh, on, on the truth because that is a first step in, order, in stopping these places. Um, but, you know, there, there are other steps after that. Uh, the, knowing the truth is not enough to, to change the world. You have to organize. And uh, so I think uh, it's very important for all of us to be community organizers. And so we have two, two main strategies. One is the strategy of bearing witness. Another one is uh, to use uh, love-based community organizing. And, and using that approach is uh, very inclusive. Uh, we have babies, children, grandmothers, grandfathers, 
coming to our vigils, people of all colors, people of all ages and sexes and things like that. So I, I think uh, that's precisely the approach we need because we need our entire community to, to organize. And, and uh, we don't see the slaughterhouse owners, managers, workers as enemies, but as opponents that we need to convert. Just like we need to convert all the <clears throat> omnivores, <clears throat> excuse me, and vegetarians. Uh, so it's, it's a very Gandhian approach because he, he did not refer to the other side as enemies, but as opponents. And, and our mission is to convert. And I'm just reading this book right now on um, Tolstoy, Gandhi, and Mandela. And that all three had in common this mission of, of converting uh, the, the, the other side and you know, just bringing everyone together and, and, in a social justice uh, campaign. Yeah, we, we absolutely love that approach. And it's something, um, even uh, just looking on the vegan perspective, we always like to say here at Vegan FTA that you know, collaboration is the future of our movement. And that also goes to outside of the vegan movement. And as you say, working with the opposition as opposed to working against them. Mm. So yeah, we, we love the love-based um, approach that you guys take. And I look forward to talking about that more in this interview. It made me think actually of um, you know, some friends that I know that are members of Animal Say, particularly in Wellington um, over here, and, and they do, take their their sons and daughters with them to vigils and you know it makes me think can you imagine what a different place the world would be if if more young people if, if you know more children saw this so early on in their lives like i think it's, it's wonderful and, and those children that i know are just the most wonderful compassionate souls already you know they've barely even reached double figures <laughs> Um, in a previous interview, you spoke about the importance of location when it comes to uh, the vigils. And throughout the series, we've spoken with multiple activists who conduct their events and vigils on different stages, you know, a variety of locations. Although the SAVE movement is known for the slaughterhouse vigils, have there been any other locations that you have found uh, to be effective in spreading this message for the animals? Absolutely. That's a good question. So, um... We also have like fish save groups that hold vigils at ports or at supermarkets. Uh, uh, in terms of other locations, uh, we also have, besides holding vigils, we also do save squares. So vegan outreach in downtown uh, centers, uh, just to show people the footage of, of, of uh, you know, slaughterhouses, but also of sanctuaries and um, climate chaos and, and the link to animal agriculture. Um, we, we also have like three other branches, you know, besides Animal Save, we have uh, Climate Save Movement, Youth Climate Save, and Health Save. And so the tactics there are include joining marches and school talks and beach cleanups, film screenings. Um, Currently, our climate campaigner is working to have a vegan component on to 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 add a vegan component to the climate clock. Um, so the climate clock looks at you know how much time we have left in terms of fossil fuel, uh, the role of fossil fuels in destroying the the climate, and and then it looks at some lifelines like positive indicators like you know more renewable energy. And uh, so our campaigner Stephanie uh, has been working to have a vegan veganize that clock and so that um so there there are so many areas that you can work work on because we look at all the different aspects of going vegan so the animals are central but so is the climate and and public health and uh so it gives you lots of opportunities to you know try a variety of strategies and tactics um another really interesting initiative is uh uh, we have uh, letters to schools and hospitals asking them to veganize their menus. And it's on our website uh, on animalsafe.org. We have a campaigns drop-down menu and uh, we're asking that uh, all these institutions create plant-based zones where they're, they completely veganize their menu for all, all the reasons that we talked about. Brilliant. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, you guys are, are such a, a well-run organization. Um, you know, everything that you do is just hugely on point. Your content at the moment, we, we um, 
you know, we, we check out who's doing what. And, and I think on Facebook yesterday, uh, Animal Safe content was like number 34 Yeah, and, uh, on Facebook. Top um, really? top ranking sort of content and stuff like that. It was uh, a video of the chicken with her wings out over her chicks and stuff like that. And yeah, it's viewership is... 30 million something, yeah. No, yeah. no, I was surprised. I was surprised, yeah, because we had like, you know how you get your weekly analytics? Uh, the reach was like 50, like over 50 million. So yeah, it's uh, it's gone up. The last week it went up 800%. But yeah, often we have like just millions and millions and millions in terms of reach, but it was exceptional this last week. So maybe that's why it made, are you saying a general Facebook top 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 list? That was the impression so, I got yeah. Yeah, out of all of Facebook. You know, I mean, how many how many pages are there in Facebook? And you guys are like in the 30s, which is incredible. Yeah, it's great to see animal rights places getting right up there, you know? <laughs> yeah, people are watching this. Oh, there's a firefighter, uh, uh, Chris, who's in Manchester, and he's our viral video specialist, and he does a tremendous job, and, and just our entire team. So one of the reasons that we, we do so well on social media is we're a global organization, and uh, we have representatives from different regions helping us with content. So uh, in, in Oceania, uh, we have Amanda at Brisbane, who does incredible content, and then in Latin America, we have, you know, we have uh, Sabrina and Azul and Val. And then North America, we got Varun. And in Europe, we have Leah. Like, so we have, we have people around the world that are getting us really good content. Plus, we have a viral media specialist. That, and, and so we, we've, we've, over time, we've improved our structure. And what I found from um, studying labor movements is that uh, one of the ingredients to success is having a representative organizing committee and, and having an expanding team. And so our, our approach from the beginning was expanding team leadership. So it's not about like one person or a few people, it's about expanding teams and, and the idea that everyone is an organizer and everyone's a leader and a good leader encourages leadership in others. And because that's what we, we need, right? So we define ourselves as a global network of activists and and we, over the years, we've become increasingly representative at the global level, but also at the local level. And looking at labor studies, that is one of the ingredients for a successful comprehensive campaign. So we're learning from other movements, like democracy works, like the, um, you know, it's the, it's, it's the best system we have. And, and having a representative organization is, is one of the ways in which, uh, you know, which you get, which is uh, you know very successful in 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 terms of um, being impactful and effective. It's the right thing to do, but it's also very effective. That's fantastic information, yeah, especially for us right now, because the vegan FTA is in the process of um, doing just that right now. So um, it's great for us. I'm sure for some of our activists out there too, they're trying to establish their networks as well and grow stronger and. Yeah, this whole thing again of uh, collaborating and having many different facets to the organization is just, yeah, help, help you grow so much. It's got more. me thinking about the people over here that are, uh, you know, are with the animal save. We've got our amazing Sandra Kyle, you know, over here. Um, we've got the young guys, Caitlin and Vincent, and, and the team at Taranaki Animal Save. We've got Maya in the Wellington Animal Save. I mean, they're all wonderful, wonderful leaders, just amazing activists and you know their commitment i mean going back to um your first encounter with the with the truck when you know you you made that commitment to to hold three vigils a week and, and you stuck to that i mean that's another facet of being effective in activism is the frequency and that you guys are, are so committed you know every week um that you hold your events and you know there's a lot of shock or or kind of tactics that are used in ad animal advocacy to create a big impact over a short time a short time frame but you guys you know you've maintained a presence around this cause and you know do you find by applying the more consistent pressure of always being there every week you know how have you seen this create change over time that's a great question and uh it, it absolutely works um so when we first started, uh, we kept the promise to the pig of uh, three vigils a week. And um, it, it's, uh, you know, some people said, well, you can't do that. It's not sustainable. You're going to, it's not good for your mental, the, so on, so, so and so forth. But the, what makes it sustainable is that the movement's growing and that 
all, all the pain of this, seeing so much injustice and so much hurt uh, is counterbalanced by a growing community, uh, you know, building community, building a love-based community, supporting each other, uh, having an impact, being more effective. And is it what, it, the question is, what do the animals want? The animals want us to be there. They want us to see them. They want us to, for us to help them individually or their brothers and sisters in the, in the next truck. And, and, and so, you know, we're doing what the animals want and, and being there as much as we can uh, is, is so important. And yes, we started with three vigils a week, but then we innovated. We said, okay, let's do an all day vigil. Let's do a 30 hour vigil. And, and uh, then in England, somebody said, let's do a five day vigil. And then somebody in Barcelona said, oh, let's do a five day vigil and five day fast. And, and, and you know, there was a three day vigil in Poland. And, and so all these ideas, uh, you know, they, people come up with ideas all over the world and they're, they're good ideas that are then spread around the world. And it, it's so important to be consistent because a lot of people say, I can't go to a vigil. I can't do it. I'm going to break down. Six months later, they come to a vigil. Just by being there regularly, giving people opportunities to join, it's so important and being consistent and never canceling those vigils, you know, unless it's like unsafe. But you know, when it rains or snows, we're there. When it's extreme weather, we're there to document, you know, the, the animals suffering in extreme heat or in extreme cold weather conditions, we're there. And so like, I, I just think it's really important to do. It's, and, and again, it's, it's, the, it's what the animals are calling for. And that's what guides us. We're a very animal-centric movement. Uh, it, you know, it's, um, it's an animal standpoint, basically. Um, and uh, at the same time, uh, we're an intersectional movement and we also support you know, human equality, human animal equality and animal equality. And I, and I love that about our movement is uh, how we're, you know, we're open to social justice issues and others. Uh, but you know, our mission, is, is basically to end animal agriculture uh, for the sake of the animals, uh, for the sake of the climate and people's health and, uh, and to reforest the earth. So like, so we have this clear mission, but at the same time, we're an organization that uh, is aware of uh, the social struggles that are happening around us and, and the, the importance of having solidarity for other social movements. A large factor of the SAVE movement um, is, is that standing together to create change. And um, while conducting the vigils and dealing with the after effects, the, the emotional burden of that, you know, having that community is so important. Um, we've spoken with activists previously in this series, like uh, Tash Peterson in Australia, who take on solo vigils and events. And we've heard their reasons for going it alone. Um, in contrast, why is it um, a community approach is so important to your vigils? That's a really good question. It's um, when we started Toronto Pig Save, there was someone else who was doing individual vigils and she wanted to do it alone. And I guess um, the reason that we, we, we do community vigils is that uh, we just feel that everyone has a moral duty to be there and it's life changing. And uh, we, we, we literally think that every human on the earth should be like bearing witness and that's our goal. And, and it's like, it's a choice in life. Like when you see an animal suffering, you can look the other way and flee from the suffering one, or you can come close as close as you can and try to help to paraphrase Leo Tolstoy. And, and so we wanna change the cultural norm so that everyone sees it as their moral duty to run to someone suffering and to help them. And, and this is for animal suffering. This is in terms of human genocides. Uh, it's in terms of any social injustice. Like uh, when you look at the, you know, the great authors and like Charles Dickens, he, he, he wrote about bearing witness in a lot of his books. Uh, he has this uh, governess uh, named General, Mrs. General uh, in, um, uh, um, I think it was Little Dorrit. And she says, uh, you know, she says to Little Dor, she says, you know, don't look at poor people like that's it's it's not not becoming, you know, it's like, uh, you know, it's not pleasant and it's not, you know, don't do do. And she did, and she even though she 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 had, she so he, this question or you look at uh, you know a Christmas Carol, and again, it's about you know, it's always about 
what you do in life, whether you, you look the other way or you help. And, and we, we just want to change the cultural norm so that every, so that people don't say any, anymore that, oh, I don't want to see slaughterhouse footage. That's terrible. You know, it's, it's depressing. I don't want to see that. That's not an answer. Uh, even, even if it hurts you, even if it causes you trauma, uh, we need to, we need to share the, 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 the incredible trauma that animals are suffering in order to change their plight. So they, they suffer trauma from the day they're born to the day they die. All their life, they're suffering trauma. They bear witness all their life. You know, so it, we're just bearing witness a tiny bit. And it's so devastating because it's so awful what's happening. But we need to do this. If all of us do this, if a community does it instead of one person, then there's more power in it and the, and the situation will change faster. So that's the reason you don't have one person bearing witness. You, have, you, need, you really need to encourage the entire community to bear witness because that's what's going to change the world faster. Stop the podcast. We'd like to take a moment to give a shout out to one of our partners, Sentient Media. Sentient Media is a non-profit news organization that reports on the corruption within modern animal industries and brings these stories to the mainstream. Their mission is to create transparency around the role of animals in our daily lives. From food to companionship to laboratory test subjects, sign up to their free newsletter to keep up to date with all the latest features and investigations. Head on over to sentinmedia.org today. Now back to the podcast. It's awesome. It's, I yeah, I've never I've never thought about it that way, um, and it's just so yeah. It's, it's so true. And, and, you know, going back to the previous question as well about, about the frequency of the vigils, I, I love that you do that because this doesn't go away. You know, if it's always there, it, it's always happening and you getting out there and, and drawing attention to it, it just reaches more and more people all the time. So um, I know one thing that, um, you know, one, one subject, I guess we, we need to touch on really is, is activist safety, you know, and that I, I know that is, something that people are concerned about when they go to vigils. Um, our amazing Sandra Kyle, um, you know, she documents her, her vigils every week. Um, we share them a lot on Vegan FTA because they're just amazing, heart-rending reading. And, you know, she's, she's amazing going out there, putting herself out there, you know, several times a week. Um, and it, it does worry me. And sometimes we say to Sandra, you know, it, we, we worry for you going out there by yourself, you know, and, and activist safety is something that's that's really important to us here at, at Vegan FTA. And um, sadly, tragic events like, like the death of Rig and Russell can still happen despite us all taking routine safety precautions, you know, everything that we do necessary due to the callous acts of staff members or the public during these events. Um, when we spoke to Bobby, you know, he said to us when he comes up against aggression, you know, he'll just, if he gets abuse from, from truck drivers or whatever, he'll just give them a peace sign and just, you know, carry on his way. As a love-based movement, which I just love that concept, um, how do you react to signs of aggression or violence from operators or the public? So uh, we, we, we think that there's a number of things you can do. Uh, and one of the first things you should do is reach out to the slaughterhouse management ask for a meeting and ask for a safety agreement. Uh, talk to the police and ask for a safety agreement. Sometimes it works like right off the bat. Uh, and I'll, I'll give you an example of what happened to us in Toronto. Uh, we have a chicken slaughterhouse open, owned by Baker Leaf and we have two cow slaughterhouses. And then we have Fearman's pig slaughterhouse in Burlington. And um, it took a couple of months for Maple Leaf to come up with a safety agreement with us. And it was the management that set the tone. As soon as they said, okay, all the trucks stop for five minutes, uh, there's no issues whatsoever. Truckers turn off their uh, engines, we bear witness in five minutes. At the cow slaughterhouses, it took a few years to get there. It's, it's always the managers. It's not about the individual truck driver. It's, it's the managers and the owners that set the tone. And, and at Fearman's, where Regan tra was tragically run over by a pig transport truck, the, the owner would never even uh, talk to us. And we've been trying for years to get a safety agreement. Um, so I think uh, you if you're going to bear witness, uh, talk to the different players and say, let's, let's sit down. Let's have a safety agreement. Uh, we, we're here to bear witness. 
we feel that everyone has a moral duty and uh, let's come up with an agreement. And, and at Maple Leaf, uh, the chicken, chicken slaughterhouse, they, 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 could, they, they understood us, they understood what we were doing um, and they sympathized with it too. Uh, and, and in fact, this is the one company that started, moved away from calling itself a meat company to a protein company. And they, they over the last few years, they bought vegan companies and now they, a big part of their business is vegan uh, products. So, uh, you know, we're, we're asking for the transformation of all these industries. And when we sit down with them, like that's, that's the narrative. Like we're, uh, so I think there are things you can do on that level at a systems level. And then there's other things you can do, like wear a high biz safety uh, vest. Uh, just be aware, very aware of the situation, like have uh, safety marshals. Uh, there's just a whole number of things that you could do to try to increase your, your, the safety of, of the vigil uh, participants. Um, so on our website, Animal Safe Movement, we have a starter kit, which has a whole section on safety. Uh, you can download the 50 page uh, handbook, uh, and it just talks about you know how to organize a vigil, what to bring, how how to increase safety, things like that. Oh, what a brilliant resource! I think mm -hmm. um, talking about the systematic change and, and talking with the actual owners and the managers there, I for I, I suppose the way to term it is sort of newer vegans. I often see they get very angry and aggressive about the whole slaughterhouse thing. I think they forget that there are actual human beings in there who you can communicate with you know it's not it's not just some corporation it's not just some shell of a, a monstrous being you know there are people on the ground that you can deal with there and like you guys have done with the chicken that potentially get them on the path towards mm -hmm. doing better things and moving away from that and it's fantastic to hear that story because i didn't know about that previously nice. but um Regan Russell's legacy has gone on to inspire many activists to become more active well many vegans have become more active in the movement and it's fantastic mm -hmm. that they've chosen to do that now but one of the contributors around um her death unfortunately was the announcement of the animal agricultural gag law in ontario bill 156 and that would make it illegal for activists to be to bear witness and expose this industry despite the law not yet being passed um, at that time or the bill legalizing homicide in the name of animal agriculture the truck driver responsible still acted in the way he did which you know then caused regan's tragic death um, in the wake of her death, though, was the bill still passed for us outside of um, the States and Canada? We don't get a lot of that news and information out here. So is Bill 156 passed? And if so, um, how is the fight going to end that? Yes, yeah, so um, the, the bill was passed one day before she was killed, but not the regulation. So it was just the act. So it was a, just the framework, right? That's why she, there was a special vigil held to protest it the day after. It was on the Friday, June 19th of last year. And uh, then months later, they started introducing the regulations. So, so uh, you're not supposed to stop the trucks, you're not supposed to put your hands in and touch the animals or give them water. But we're still doing our vigils and it's winter here. Uh, now it's spring, but um, so we, we still do our vigils and go up to the trucks, take pictures. So, you know, there was supposed to be a zone around the trucks they're not implementing those provisions. So we're still, I, I think because it would be just, it just, it's just so outrageous, like when you look at the bill. Uh, but, but they're saying that, oh, if we give water, then they might, uh, you know, they might uh, enforce that. But so when the summer comes, I, I'm, I'm sure that many people will want to challenge that provision. Like, because if the animals are thirsty, they, they should get water. And it's, uh, so uh, there's a group called Animal Justice, in, in a group of lawyers, and they're, uh, they've launched a constitutional challenge to the bill. So that's proceeding right now. And then um, there, there's going to be, you know, a, in June, there's going to be a week of action in, in, for, for Regan Russell. And uh, I'm sure you're going to see lots of challenges to, to different parts of this bill. But yes, the fight continues against uh, this bill. But a lot of the parts of the bill are not being enforced so like you know like the zone the, the animal protection zone around the trucks they're you know we, we go right out to the trucks and we take footage but at the moment uh people are not uh uh 
I, I'm not. I'm not sure if people are touching uh, I, at the pig vigils. People generally are not touching the pigs, but at the cow vigils, they may maybe. I, I don't go to those vigils, but so it, it's. Uh, I feel it's like enforced in different, like different. It's not really uniformly enforced because at the cow, at the cow uh, vigils, uh, you know, the trucks stop and people are bearing witness. So yeah, it's it's yeah, it's it, it would be hard. For you to know from Australia what's happening because here it's like it's so unevenly enforced and you know it's yeah but it, but it will be challenged in, in a bigger way you'll see this summer I'm sure all right yeah we look forward to that it was you know just watching it from from our end of the world was just crazy you know and uh, we know the UK at the moment as well is um you know mm -hmm. they're they're coming under pressure from um you know, authorities trying to ban protests, you know, and it's like, oh my Lord, you're, you're just trying to, trying to do something good here, something important. And, um, you know, I find it very ironic that they have this animal protection zone over where you are. And, and yet you guys are the ones that are, are doing the good for the animals. Like what is with that? <laughs> but, um, yeah, I'm, you know, that, that's why we thought we should clarify because we see that the vigils are, are still going ahead, which is fantastic. Yeah. And um, we look forward to see what happens with uh, with fighting against that. So something that we've talked about many times um, across the series as well is the need for activists to utilize technology and film everything when it comes to activism, such as you guys do a, a, such a wonderful job. And we understand that this was also something crucial to you in 2017 when you had a truck driver um, attempt to have you charged for giving pigs water. Can you tell us a bit about this? That was uh, just a regular vigil in June 2007, uh, 2015. And there were five of us at the vigil and it was a very hot scorching day. Uh, you know, the temperature was in the high 20s Celsius. And uh, there's, there's a small traffic island and three of the protesters stayed on the sidewalk with their sides. And then a couple of us, Nikki and myself, uh, we're on the traffic island and when the truck stopped at a red light uh, I, I said like, let's give them water and um, it was unusual for Jeff the truck driver to jump out of the truck and say don't give them water and uh, you know and I said I quoted Matthews chapter 25 you know if, when, I, when I was thirsty you gave me water and uh, I said you know and then he said I'm going to call the police and I said call Jesus and and I said he said don't give them water I said you know if they're thirsty they're going to get water and and Nikki was filming, I was filming, Jeff was filming. It was just like, we always film. And, and you know, if you didn't capture it on film, there would have been no case at all. So it just shows you the, the you know, the absolute importance of uh, using your phone. And I think Nikki had a, like a, 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 a camera and she was just filming. Like, I didn't even know she was filming. Thank God she was filming. I mean, she, the whole case like depended on her filming. So I am very grateful to, to Nikki. When uh, we spoke to Captain Paul Watson from Sea Shepherd, he, he shared the same sentiment, you know, with a lot of what they do. Um, he's got off a lot of charges himself because they've had the team there filming and making sure that it's documented from both sides because um, our opposition, as it were, you know, also have the ability to film us. But as long as we're filming and sharing both sides of the story, then, you know, we, we can have these good results for um, ourselves and more importantly, the animals. In just 10 years, what started out as a vigil for pigs in Toronto has now amassed over a thousand animal safe chapters around the globe, bearing witness for all farmed animals. The movement now utilizes a three pronged approach by utilizing, uh, well, by also creating health safe, climate safe, and I also actually youth safe as well chapters. Mm -hmm. um, what is the important about bringing in these other aspects to continue the fight for animals? I know we touched on this briefly before, but um, can you give us a little bit more detail on that? So what we know from social movements is that if you can talk about more co-benefits, you're more likely to succeed. So if, if what, what's so interesting about going vegan is it's a win on so many different levels and that just benefits our movement. So why not use it? So if, uh, you know, if it, it benefits the climate, it benefits people's health, uh, it benefits the youth. Uh, and by benefiting all those different aspects, it draws more people in. So ultimately we want to bring in people to appreciate the animals. And, but at the same time, um, the survival of an animal depends on the environment. So our precious pigs, cows, chickens, you know, um, 
all the wild, all the free animals. You know, we were talking about Joan Dunyer and, you know, language. She has a book called Animals and Equality, uh, Language, Language and Equality. And, and she, uh, she says that you shouldn't even use wildlife. She says free, free animals. So I'm just, I'm just you have to be so careful with your language. Um, so all these animals, like they're not going to survive just because we close down slaughterhouses. We also have to have a healthy environment. And animal agriculture is a leading, leading cause of climate chaos because it is deforests the planet and is both on land and in the ocean. And, and it's, uh, you know, the, we need to stop this. And, and so, so there are good reasons for animals to, to care about these other issues, including human animals. Um, so I think uh, uh, we're just like pursuing the truth about like what what we need to do uh and uh we we, we and, and it's also a very practical approach because uh you know if you focus on all these wins all these co-benefits uh you can draw more people in um and and one of us our, our fastest growing branches is youth climate save movement and it was started by genesis butler when she was 15 years old she's an african-american uh ch child in um la and she's a social media influencer. Uh, she has more than 60,000 followers on Instagram. She's really brilliant. She does some of the best talks, some of the best. She has incredible connections. She just did an Instagram takeover at Nickelodeon, which has like millions of followers just, just a few days ago, talking about animal uh, going vegan and plant-based in order to address the, you know, the climate chaos issues. So. Um, I just find that exciting that that's actually the, the fastest growing branch of all and uh, that we have so much leadership from youth around the world. It's really inspiring. It's yeah. awesome. We love Genesis and uh, we hope to be talking to her very soon. Yes, so. she is going to be on this series. We just uh, She's she, a busy lady. She's yeah, been yeah. hard to, to track down. <laughs> but we're, we're hoping to talk to her very soon. So, um, you know, I love that. That all sounds it's so exciting and positive. And I love that the Save Movement is so you know, it is so inclusive and, and it is a love-based movement. And one of your campaigns, which um, caused quite a bit of controversy, I guess you could say within the vegan movement was the vigil for slaughterhouse workers. And, you know, there were quite a few outspoken activists that were furious that human welfare issues were being spoken about and given recognition by the animal safe movement. At Vegan FTA, we are FTA for the animals, but we also recognize the importance of the campaign and the positives that it represented for the animals. Would you care to give any commentary on this campaign or a response to the activists who were upset that a humanitarian aspect might have been featured to benefit the animals? Yeah, this is a, yeah. It's a, it, so um, we, we were working with a Latin, Latin, Amer Latin group in the United States um, that, Fight, fights for civil rights of uh, let, let, Latino members in the United States. And um, what was happening at these slaughterhouses was uh, there were COVID outbreaks and lots of deaths of workers. And the slaughterhouses did not care in most instances about this. Uh, there was a, even, there's a slaughterhouse in Canada that became the epicenter of COVID owned by Cargill in uh, Alberta. And then the workers were uh, the workers were from out of the country, and and they didn't have a lot of um, sort of bargaining power. And their union asked that the slaughterhouse be shut down for a long time. And the the, the Cargill uh, then pressured the uh, Alberta Labor Relations Board to to just let that plant remain open. And it was a COVID epicenter. And what ha this was happening to in slaughterhouses around the U.S. as well, uh, and uh, so there was a there was a group, uh, a civil rights group representing Latino workers that said, "Let's have meatless Mondays. Let's support that." And then they said, "No, let's go beyond that. Let's have meatless May." And then they said, "No, let's actually encourage, uh, you know, uh, a meatless diet." And so then we formed a coalition with them, with PCRM, PETA, Jane Unchained. And uh, we're working with them. And so then we had uh, some vigils where we were highlighting um, just, the, the, just the, the flagrant disregard, not just for the animals, but also for the human animal slaughterhouse workers. And um, 
And uh, yeah, and, and the management couldn't stand our signs. Like they were so upset we were there because we were saying, you know, the slaughterhouse workers are, you know, very vulnerable. They're dying from COVID. Like, so they were really threatened by us. So you, you must ask yourself why. And, you know, the people that really opposed our work, you, you have to ask, like, why is the slaughterhouse owners are, are threatened by what we're doing? Because, uh, so I, I think, like, if you, if you read a book like Slaughterhouse by Gail Eisnitz, I don't know if you've heard of that book. It's a classic book, a wonderful book. She said that slaughterhouses are hell for animals and for workers. And uh, if you look at Upton Sinclair's book, The Jungle, that was published in 1906, he also looked at how slaughterhouses were so brutal for the pigs being dismembered. There were public gallery, viewing galleries back then. And then he also talked about the workers, how they were exploited. And it's always the, the people at the bottom of the rung. So it might be the latest immigrants. It was, uh, you know, it was the Irish. It was the East Europeans. It was the African-Americans who worked at the slaughterhouse. If you're wealthy, you're, you're, you know, you're not going to dream about working at a slaughterhouse when you grow up. So, so we, we sort of understand that it's important to have a class analysis um, and, and uh, to show solidarity and, and to, to part of, like, we, we don't want a world where anyone has to work, uh, you know, killing animals, you know, eight hours a day. And so we want to fight for the rights of people to have safe, meaningful jobs. And that means transitioning them out of the slaughterhouse industry. So when we were doing those vigils, we weren't saying, oh, like, let's just improve the working conditions for workers so they can continue to work. We were saying, no, like, let's, this is a violent industry that also disregards their workers. Let's transition this industry out of, you know, into something new, into something plant-based. And we were beginning to make important a lot allies, like with civil rights groups in the United States. So that was very exciting. And um, yeah, I think, I think you have to remember that. I, I'd re for anyone who was really angry about that, I would recommend reading Gail Eisnitz, uh, her, her book called Slaughterhouse. It's a classic. It's a really incredible book. Um, but, you know, it's not to say that, you know, we, we oppose violence. 100% we oppose violence. And, but we don't want anybody having to work in a violent industry either. I think it's such a fantastic campaign. For me, even if you can't see the, the depths to it, it's just another reason for people to stop eating meat. And if it, even if it doesn't connect with vegans, it connects with then those carnists that even um, those people who want to consume meat, their, their fellow <laughs> meat eaters are being mistreated as well. So it just mm -hmm. gives more ammunition to the cause to end that sort of uh, practice. Yeah, it's still shining a, another light on the hidden, isn't it? That people just don't think about because it's not seen. Yeah. But over the course of this uh, recording, this activist series, we've spoken to so many wonderful advocates, many with small beginnings and going on to create global change. Activists such as yourself, uh, we've had Matthew Glover, Jordi Kasmajana, uh, just to name a few of them. And it's just fantastic to see how you, you've all led the way by following your morals and your ethics and living true to those, you know, despite it going against the grains of society. Do you have any advice for our viewers who want to be the best in creating a brighter future for all? Yes, I think um, I think it's about teamwork and expanding teamwork. That that's sort of been our philosophy from the beginning. Um, we were inspired by the United Farm Workers. Cesar Chavez, he's a vegan. Uh, he uh, was the first to successfully organize uh, undocumented farm workers in California. Uh, whereas other bigger organizations had tried in the 30s, 50s, 60s, and failed, uh, he succeeded. And it was because in, in a David versus Goliath battle, he, what he did was like form an organizing structure that had expanding team leadership. And uh, so I, I, that's what I would recommend. It's like, uh, you know, uh, just be very welcoming, uh, just expand the leadership, uh, and, and use like love-based community organizing. And because uh, I think, you know, if we're going to change the world in, a, in an effective way and in a big way and, and as fast as we can, we need to get as many people spending their time and resources fighting for animal liberation and climate justice. Um, 
and the world is so wealthy there's so much money so you know so much so much time people have so much time so much so many resources we just need more and more people putting their all into and, and trying to stop the crisis you know and and it's, it's not simple like you know we, we just got to get you know, your family, your friends, your neighbors, your city, your country, the world, like we, we just got to get everybody mobilized. Like that, that's, that's the way I see it. I see we, from the reason why we, we love doing vigils again and again, even though many of us are suffering from secondary trauma is because we see more new people coming uh, like at the cow vigils, almost every single vigil every week, there's a new person. And to me, like, that's such a big success, you know, and it just, yeah, just getting getting more people involved. You know, that, I think that's the, that's the trick. That's what we got to do is just to get, um, and you know, watch Seaspiracy. Like in Seaspiracy, uh, what I loved about it is they they talked to the environmentalists at the head of you know these pollution plastic pollution groups, and and I think that was a brilliant strategy. And I think what we all need to do is um, ask that the leadership. Uh, the 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 boards, the campaigners of environmental groups go plant-based, because one of the things that Leo Tolstoy and Gandhi said is that the first step in in being a good person is uh, looking at yourself and trying to perfect yourself. And and Tolstoy, in an essay called "The First Step," uh, went to a slaughterhouse and bore witness, and he said the first step to being a good person is being an ethical vegetarian or, or in today's world, it would be vegan. And um, so I think like for these organizations, environmental organizations, they need to go vegan. They need, because if they do, then they're more likely to tell the truth uh, about uh, the, you know, the main cause of um, our, our, the ocean being destroyed is, uh, you know, the, the, the fishing industry. Um, so I think like I think that's one of the lessons we have to learn is like self-perfection is so important as a first step. And, and, you know, if, if more and more people do it, they won't resist this agenda that we all have, which is, you know, saving the planet and saving animals. Um, so yeah, I think like, I think, I think we, you know, often we can learn our lessons from, no worries. The universe is calling. We need to change. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like, I think, like, if people, like, if, if, if people went plant-based and then vegan, like, they won't resist this agenda that we have. Uh, you know, it, it's such a barrier. Like, if they're omnivores and they're head of environmental groups, you tell them the truth about, you know, the main destruction of the main destroyers of the ocean and they, they they it's hard for them to listen and to accept it and so so do you see how like a first step might be to say hey like if you would you know just trying to convert them to veganism and so we're, we're thinking of having one of the one of one of our letters on our website geared towards just a lot of people writing to environmentalist leaders uh you know because we have a letter for hospitals and for schools but another one could just be appealing to leaders of like churches and synagogues and mosques and you know all these all these leaders like if they went plant-based then they won't resist this agenda that that yeah, that we have that's a fantastic initiative I, yeah. I i hope it does come soon because yeah i'll be sure to be firing out an email campaign as well then <laughs> definitely definitely Anita, thank you so much for everything that you have done and continue to do. Um, you know, it just blows me away, everything that you've got going on. And as we've said, everything is just so well organized. It just can't fail to just keep growing and reaching more and more people. Um, it's got me thinking, I was listening to a podcast that you did um, last year, I think, when you were, you were saying to the interviewer that, you know, more people should wherever you are in the world, you should find out where your local slaughterhouse is. And, and here we are, um, you know, there's obviously there's slaughterhouses in, in Auckland and it's got me thinking, okay, where is there in our area? We've got a nice network of vegans around here. What, you know, what can we be doing in our area? And I'm sure that if I put some feelers out, I'd probably be shocked about how, how much there is in our area and how close it is. But um, for you, you know, 
you've got so much going on and so many campaigns, some of them that you've, you've spoken about already, but you know, I'd love to know what, what is your vision? What's your hope for the future? Uh, I think we have very little time left. Uh, I, I think Salah Shreya was right when he says, uh, you know, if you're looking at the number of um, mammals, large mammals on the planet, it's going down and it, it will, if, if the curve keeps on going, it would, the animal, the large animals would become practically extinct by 2026. So I think uh, the, it's urgent and uh, I think that the process always matters. So always be kind. You know, even if uh, we don't make it, just be kind anyways. If we're going to make it or not make it, just be kind. Uh, we're more likely to make it that way. And um, I think, um, yeah, I just think, uh, I, I, think be, I think people need to realize how urgent it is. I think, the, you know, we need to do things that are science-based. Uh, the U.S. president said, you know, on COVID, it's, it's going to be science-based. On climate change, it's going to be science-based. Well, if that's the case, then, you know, uh, I think we really need to show how our agenda is of, of turning the whole world vegan is very science-based, you know, if we're going to stop the climate crisis. Um, I think there's a narrative that we got to get out. You know, the vision for the future is that we need to end animal agriculture and reforest the earth. I mean, that is the overall sort of the future, the vision for the future. And it needs to happen as soon as possible. And, you know, basically we have two paths, like, you know, destroy the planet uh, or create a paradise. It's like, there's no middle ground. It's like one or the other. And, um, you know, Churchill said, you know, when, when you're facing such a big crisis, like it's not a time for half measures. And I, I really believe that. Like, I, I just think, uh, you know, we need to have, we really need to move to a plant-based world in, in the next couple in the next few years thank you for listening to this interview we hope you find it informative and entertaining to learn more about anita's work go to thesavemovement.org once again be sure to follow us on our social media pages for future episodes and if you're enjoying our content please leave a review on your chosen podcast platform this has been vegan fta vegan for the animals